As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and day nine of the 2022 World Cup group stage. Brazil are through to the next round with a performance that was far from sound. It was a Swiss miss, but we can't rankle as Brazil did it without Neymar and his massive ankle. For a performance that was a little more flash, how about Serbia and Cameroon's five goal clash? The Serbs pulled ahead with pace and speed before showing us how to blow a 3-1 lead. (laughs) And Portugal have advanced to the next round of the World Cup thanks to a Uruguay side that didn't properly show up. The Portuguese confidence is clear, but Uruguay have got to kick it up a gear. And at Education City, we were all taught a lesson in a game South Korea found quite depressing. Ghana have scored five goals more than I thought they should. It's impressive for a team that are not that good. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who sent me a picture of a beaver earlier. (laughs) Taylor Rockwell, is that true? It is true. And uh, you did a really good job of cleaning it up for me. Thanks, Ryan. You're very welcome. Um, uh, yeah, we have. I should clarify now that Ryan is equally as uncomfortable as I am. We have a, a trail cam in our backyard. I've been trying to get a, be- a beaver on camera for a while. I finally did, but it was pitch black. But Ryan, with his Photoshop skills, revealed there it was carrying a stick back. Kind of adorable, also kind of huge, which is also kind of terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it was a very impressive beaver. One of the Thank most you. impressive. I've seen uh, in in my time in Brooklyn, I would say, Taylor. Um, also here joining us, a man... One of the most impressive you've seen in your time in Brooklyn. It's up there. Okay. It's up there. Yeah. On an unrelated note, here's a man who ordered McDonald's to the Brooklyn TSS HQ, and he's made us all hungry today, Graham Rutherford. Hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, whatever they put in those chicken nuggets, I was missing the additives. It had been two weeks, so I needed my fix, and it uh, scratched that itch. It was kind of like Popeye, where you saw your eyes dilated, your muscles sort of yeah. flexed da, da, once da, da, you had da, the water da, 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 yeah. yeah, exactly. Very, very good. And rounding out our pack, a man who bought milk duds today to stay awake and then immediately fell asleep. Joe Lowry, hello. You know, I was trying to play 4D chess. I went to the store. I went to the Dollar General. That's about a, a block away from my Airbnb. And I was hungry a little bit, but I wanted something to snack on. And so I went to the store and purchased milk duds. (laughs) And I came back and was immediately harassed by Taylor Rockwell for choosing that as my particular candy. 
Graham and Ryan both only, got on board. Only because it's a really bad choice. That's the only reason why you <laughs> were stressed. Yeah, 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 no other reason. No. Um, yeah. So Graham and Ryan both got on board, mm. and I don't think either one of you guys had ever had a milk dud before, but but it seemed to be pleasing to both of you. Fine. So I was trying to eat them during the game to keep myself awake because I am very sleepy today. Mm. And Portugal-Uruguay was dull up until the end, and then it got a little exciting. And I knew it was going to be, so I was thinking ahead. I feel like I deserve credit. I feel like the listener needs some context here because this is uh, an audio medium podcasting. Joe is currently wearing his Wikipedia game crown, and yep. everything Joe says right now very much... I hear it like the king in Hamilton mm-hmm. is basically how I'm hearing Joe yeah. right now. That is the vibe you're giving off, Joe. I have been wearing my Wikipedia crown all day. Taylor was a bit late in delivering it to me. I certainly had not forgotten at all about the promised mm. crown. I definitely yeah. remembered that was supposed to be a thing. But I have been wearing it uh, for the most of the day. Indeed. Joe Larry won the Wikipedia game, which we played on our Patreon, TSS+. Plus. <gasps> By the way, guys, patreon.com slash Show. If you want to join in the fun during this here World Cup, maybe you'll even get a glimpse of the glorious cl- uh, crown that uh, Taylor Rockwell created for Joe Larry. It is a good has, crown, it's got a, You did well. It's got a W on the front, which just makes me think it's a Weezer piece of merchandise. Or Wonder Woman. I tried or, to make up for it with the spikes. Or which Wario. Seemed, which I was thinking Wario. to yeah. have folded in. Mm. I don't know what happened to the spikes. They're going into yeah, Joe's brain It is now. made out of tinfoil, so, you know, Did you draw jewels on it as well? Or are those real jewels? Those are real jewels, Oh, Graham. right, wow. Yeah, those are okay, rubies, yes. Grim. Excuse yes. you. Yeah. Drawn on. <laughs> I guess we know where the live show money went <laughs> <Exactly>. now. <laughs> yeah, we, we, don't, we don't mess around here. We, we do Thanksgiving dinner and we do uh, real rubies in the crown. Very good indeed. All right, enough crowns and beaver talk for now. (laughs) Let's get to the games. Guys, this could be the day that the tournament truly came alive for the first two games, possibly. Uh, Where should we start here? Should we start with Serbia, Cameroon, Graham? Does that sound good? Yeah, I I know we're all absolutely gutted that today was the last 5 a.m. game of the tournament. What a way to go out. So 43% of all goals scored in the 7, 10 a.m. fixtures at this World Cup came in the Cameroon-Serbia game. So that, that, as I say, some way to go out. Yeah, Serbia 3, Cameroon 3 in this one. Both teams getting their first point at the tournament as well. Um, the first proper chaos game as well, Joe, possibly? I it, it is not the only chaos game we've had. I think some of the upsets that we've had in this competition and even I think about Portugal-Ghana, where Ghana nearly pull off the Inaki Williams steal from behind on, on Diogo Costa would have been in that game. That one fits as well, but this game was fun, right? It, it was between two flawed but talented teams in this game. Serbia go a little bit more aggressive with Kostic at, at left wing back. Taylor, yeah. you were wise to point out that that is sort of the the tell for this team mm-hmm. and how they're going to approach a game. It made sense that they'd come out this way against Cameroon, a team that, as I predicted before the season started, has before the season, before the World Cup started, <laughs> have a lot of talent in the attack, and they show that in this game. But they also can be vulnerable defensively. So we had both of those pieces fit in here. We had Serbia being a bit more aggressive. Cameroon get it to 1-1. Excuse me, sorry. Cameroon get the opening goal. Then Serbia come back and and score a handful. And then Cameroon bring it back level. I mean, there was a lot to like about this game. Yeah, I think I would say this is our first pure chaos game, at least for me. There have been some some other ones that were interesting, but this one was all over the place and it kept defying narratives. Because in the opening, you've got Serbia. Mitrovic has like two pretty good chances. I'm not going to say he should have scored or done better, but he hits the post with one, which is exceptional. He's another one that even he can't believe he misses. And it feels like, here we go. Serbia have that attacking approach. As Joe mentioned, Zivkovic and Kostic bombing forward. Uh, Mitrovic in there. Tadic driven in balls. Milinkovic Savic running around. And then, of course, Cameroon get the go-ahead goal. That was very surprising to me. Serbia pulling uh, three ahead, or excuse me, two ahead, but three goals, two in uh, stoppage time of the first half. Then they get one to start the second half. And at that point, I've talked about this before, but I always feel like if a team concedes in the first five or ten minutes of the second 
half, it means their game plan is kind of out the window. What they were planning to do for that half isn't working. And I thought this could easily be 4-5-1 by the end. So for Cameroon to pull it back and get two goals for it to finish in a draw was more than a little unexpected. And I think even some of the players on the pitch were, were surprised by this one, including the goal scorers. Yeah, so there were two goals in particular in this game which were right. very, very pleasing. So the first one is, is just a, a very well-constructed passing goal. So that was the Serbian third goal and the composure that they show for that goal was incredible. So Serbia come forward in quick, quick transition after a pretty cheap turnover by Cameroon. The ball's played to, to Milinkovic-Savic just inside the box. He shapes for the shot, but then opens out his, his right foot and passes to Zivkovic, who then also cuts inside. You think he's going for the shot. He then squares it for, for Mitrovic for the close range, uh, close, close range finish. And then you have the Abubakar goal yeah. to get oh Cameroon my. back in at 3-2. And I've got two points in this. So it's the perfect example of why the lines person, yep. you always hear now, why don't they put up the flag? For all the world, he looked offside in that moment. Yeah. He thought he was offside. And my theory on this is obviously in his celebration, you can tell he thought he was offside. I don't think in a, in a million years he tries that finish. No, nope. I don't think if so he either. he thinks he's onside. That is the classic, <laughs> well, I might as well try this because it's going to yeah. be called back for, for, for offside. It's a fantastic finish. Very Karol Poborski. I know Euro 96 yeah. is your tournament, uh, Ryan Bailey. Hundo. Very Karol Poborski. So two <laughs> two memorable two memorable <laughs> goals in this game. Not just a memorable uh, game itself, but the goals as well I, were brilliant. Graham, I cannot believe how good that goal is. I think this... This for me is in the top three so far of this competition. I want to put it number one because it is just so cheeky, but it's the, it's the Richarlison volley, right? Or bicycle kick, excuse me, mm -hmm. that we have in Brazil's first game. It's the Gavi outside of the foot volley that Spain have against Costa Rica. And then it's this goal. Messi which, cough, Messi cough. Oh, Messi. Okay, top four. Yeah, shoot, forgot about that one. It's a good goal, darn it. It's a very, very good goal. Mm -hmm. And you can see Abubakar as he, he sort of thinks he's offside. He is, yes, he's waiting for the ball to catch up to him. But at the same time, I think he's just like, ah, yeah. This one's done. I'm going to go and just kind of dink about it. And he has a really nice fake in the box to give himself the chance to shoot. And then he scoops it. Like, I haven't seen a player scoop a chip in a really, really long time. Just unreal. But I think, I agree. And to Graham's point, the way it bounces in, and even as it's going in, there's none of that like, oh, is it going to go in? Is it going to go? Like, he's starting to run away to celebrate. It's just standing there, and it goes in. And he almost just sort of like nods, like, yep. That's what I was going for. It's a shame it doesn't count. Uh, the commentary team, Warren Barton, was saying as they were drawing the lines, like, yeah, he's definitely offside. This is coming back. Uh, and then I think even as it's given, they were discussing how he was clearly offside. So I think lots of people surprised by that one. But I agree. I think sometimes I talk about when you have too much time to think about it, you might end up making a mistake. But when you act on instinct, or I guess in this case, when you think, ah, it's not going to matter, I can do whatever I want. Sometimes it works out, and in this case it did. That goal is incredible. It is probably in my top three mm. of this tournament, I and, think. And his introduction off the bends kind of changes yep. the game for Cameroon because they switch from a 4-3-3 into this more of a kind of 4-2-2-2. Two, two, two. Yeah. You have Trupa Moting and Abubakar up front in that too and it just felt like a more effective, I feel some sort of vindication um, from the Switzerland game because I saw some things in that Cameroon attack that I liked. I think, Joe, maybe you got your VSP, pre-tournament yeah, VSP. I had a, a Cameroon group stage game with at least five goals and this was that. Yeah, so there we go. So I think there were a number of people who did spot this Cameroon attack had potential. Things didn't really click in the Switzerland game but moving into to that, that different tactical shape and having a Bubakar on. By the way, a Bubakar has scored nine goals from 33 shots in international tournament football this year. So that's a 27% conversion rate. Not bad. Maybe he should be starting games, I would think. I think yeah. for, for me, the person who did the Serbia preview and was super hyped about their attack... 
this one reminded me of like uh, like Manchester United under Jose Mourinho. There's your Manchester United reference, where they're like maybe they're winning nil, like one nil, or they're drawing nil nil, but they've they've like kind of grinding results, and then everybody same thing that happened with him at Chelsea. Then everyone's like, this is boring. Like we want to play more exciting attacking soccer. Uh, and so Serbia for so long have been the team that maybe scores a goal, maybe it's nil-nil, and here they are coming out, they score three goals, and then when you uh, replace Mourinho with Solskjaer, that leaves you open to conceding goals that you have no business conceding. And so in a way, this was a really exciting uh, game, I'm assuming, for Serbian fans and for people who've been waiting for that machine to kick into life. But then you see the defensive vulnerabilities. All that to say, I was also pleased with this game because I got the uh, the Kostic start and... Uh, passes into the final third pr- prediction point. Uh, he had five. I said he'd have at least four. And I'm halfway to my Serbia prediction because I said both Zivkovic and Kostic would have assists in the group stage. Zivkovic had two. I would love for to have said that they will get two combined. Unfortunately, ah. not meant to be. But almost there. Mm. Uh, less so Serbia, almost there when it comes to getting out of the group. You said you enjoyed the game, Taylor. Do you know who enjoyed it the most in the world? Who's that? Eric Maximchuk, promoting's agent, who now <laughs> sees yet another... He's going to get like the nine-figure yep. move to Real Madrid next, right? Yep. That, I mean, it's on the way. It's on the yep. way. I will say he he gets the equalizer, and it is another thing. It's like I, I appreciate that with VAR, we can always sort of feel like if there was something that was an obvious error, it's getting called back. We don't have to worry about that. At the same time, when this goal goes in, it's again a muted celebration, but you can see Chupamoteng, even as he's running to high-five Abubakar, he's checking the big screen and then checking the AR and then checking again. And you can just tell that even he isn't quite yeah. sure if this is going to count. And it does take away a little bit of that moment. Yeah. You want that explosion of energy. You get it to some extent when it's definitely confirmed as a goal, but you want that right away on occasion. I still get why they can't do it, but uh, it does just cheapen the moment a little bit. Yeah, and that's one of the worst things about VR for me. I don't know if that's a, a, a bit of a proper football man opinion. And I remember mm. before VR yeah. came in, people say suggesting that that would happen and i think i was quite dismissive of that mm-hmm. i thought ah, players will still celebrate I, I do think you actually do see that now so you maybe are being robbed of some iconic moments like a john brooks i know that wasn't a var call but you know yeah. some celebrations at the world cup are are just so iconic because they're reflex celebrations yep. and we're, we you don't really get that at the moment if it's a if it's a marginal call agreed so we have Cameroon and Serbia both on one point here in third and fourth place in the group. Yeah. So Cameroon, Joe, basically have to beat Brazil to have a chance of going through here. Brazil have qualified, though. Stranger things have happened. It, it has. Stranger things have happened in the past. I, I believe they would also need something to go their way in Switzerland, Serbia as well for this to happen. Yeah, so, I mean, the odds are are very, very slim. According to 538, they have a 2% chance of getting out, which, which might be the lowest number. It looks like, as I'm scanning now, it is the lowest percent chance among non-eliminated teams. So, mm. not an ideal tournament for Cameroon. Neither for Anana. Joe. Yeah, yeah. So Ano uh, Onana, excuse me, Andre Onana. What's his name? Ah, uh, Onana. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, Nobody enjoyed that. He did it. <laughs> I did it. Um, he was apparently sent home from this competition. So Onana was the starting goalkeeper for Cameroon in their first game of this competition. He is one of the biggest name players on this team. Apparently, was removed from the squad based off a, a, reportedly a difference of opinion. With manager Rigo Bersong, maybe Onana wanted more touches, which sounds like a ridiculous thing to no, say about I a goalkeeper. Think, I think it was the other way around. It's so, other way around. Yeah, Onana was playing. Remember we spoke about the number of touches outside Yeah, he had a lot of touches. Rigo Bersong did not like that. So. Yeah, that's what I mean. Onana wanted more touches, oh, course, and Song right. didn't, want, didn't want him to have those touches. Mm. Either way, a storyline to monitor, it doesn't sound like it's going to make much of any difference. And I don't know how much of a difference it would have made in this game, but Onana and some drama here for Cameroon. Rigobert Song, who I believe we established earlier this week in the TSS Trivia, mm-hmm. has a couple World Cup uh, red cards to his yep. name as yep. a player. I don't think I want to get in a, 
disagreement with him in this forum. Sent off or sent home. It's one or the other, yeah. <laughs> yeah, go hard or go home, so Cameroon and Serbia, indeed. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, why don't we talk about the other couple teams, teams in Group G, that's Brazil and Switzerland, back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our World Cup Day 9 review. Let's go to Brazil 1, Switzerland 0. Not one for the history books, I suggest, Graham Ruthven. Uh, Brazil are through to knockout rounds, though, with a game to spare. A Casemiro beauty settles this one. Mm, yeah, everyone saw that with uh, all the attackers. Uh, <laughs> yep. Saw that coming, excuse me, yep. with all the attackers that, that Brazil have. I, th- I thought the way Brazil won this match wasn't too far removed from how they ultimately got the, the better of Serbia. In, in the end, they basically ground out a win and uh, it was a more conventional 4-3-3 from Brazil than we saw against Serbia but you still have um, you know Fred and Paqueta who Paqueta in particular attack minded but they're playing as the dual number eights behind a front line of Vinicius, Richarlison and Rafinha so as I say still a very attack minded approach and Brazil are basically banking on the sheer number of attacking options they have ultimately proving yeah. too much for opponents um, and not only that this was one of the things that struck me in, in this match, and this might be stating the obvious, but they can keep the energy and the intensity of their attacking high because they can basically swap everyone out after the, the hour mark. So in this game, you have Anthony, he comes on, Gabriel Jesus comes on, Rodrigo comes on. That is so formidable to have all those options on the bench to ensure that, that there's no drop-off at all. So I am very interested to see how Brazil cope against a team that can be the protagonist just as well as they can maybe a Spain or a Germany but against teams like Serbia and Switzerland who by the way are decent teams I think that's what makes it so impressive they just have too much they have too many attacking options and in the end they get the goal it is Go ahead, Taylor. I was just gonna say, like, may- maybe I'm 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 being too far with this. I I hear you, Graham. I do feel like both Serbia and Switzerland a little bit like overly intimidated by Brazil, which is easy for me to say. I get why you would be, but I think both of them took very cautious approaches. We saw them b- both teams make 
changes to the way they've been playing or the way they've played since in Switzerland's case or in Serbia's case, excuse me, that just made me think that they were a little bit already like, oh, we're in trouble. We're going to get overrun here. And especially Serbia, to go back to that one for a moment, with the way Brazil lined up with the midfield they had, it does seem like if you went at them a bit more and tried to take mm. control of the game, in at least in larger moments, maybe there could have been something. So I agree with you that I think Brazil are, are going to coast through this group, no disrespect to Cameroon, but at the end of it, I think they're going to make it to the knockout round when if they come up against a team, they come, uh, come up against either the Spain or the Germany team we saw yesterday, yeah. mm-hmm. that that's going to be a fascinating game to see how it plays and, out. And the paradox of, I'm kind of contradicting myself a little bit here with my, with my own point, my own argument, but it doesn't feel like we've seen the best of Brazil's no. attack either. So I went through the the, the shots, uh, excuse me, the shots from shot ending sequences from this game. And the number of players, so they're all Brazilians, as you would expect from a, day, a game that they controlled and dominated. But Casemiro, Marquinhos, Militao, Thiago Silva are all in there. The only attacker in there is Vinicius Jr. Now, that's not too surprising given Brazil's game, a lot of their game is, re- revolves around releasing Vinicius Jr. into space. But if you're having Thiago Silva and Marquinhos being the players who are having the shots at the end of sequences, I, I'm not to totally plan. sure what that says about your, your attacking structure. So there is, there is a bit of a paradox. I'm not sure we've seen the Brazilian t- attack in full flow. But then you look at the defence and they haven't allowed a single shot on target on their goal in either of the two games that they've yeah. played. And they're the first team to do that in their first games of a World Cup since France in 1998. So if that carries them through the tournament, I, I don't know how anyone beats them. So that, I've got All mixed right. thoughts, I think it's fair to say, on Brazil. One one thing I've been thinking about in this tournament, and even dating back to our previews, is there's kind of this, this continuum. I uh, almost think about a number line where you have these different superpower teams, like teams that have so much talent. And on one end, you have a team like Spain or Germany, who I think are similar enough in a lot of ways. They're exciting. They want to go out there and play. They're trying to control the ball with possession, but they're high-energy teams. On the other end, you have Portugal, maybe Uruguay if we want to elevate them to the big leagues. You have England a little closer to that end, I think. And then in the middle, maybe this is just my lack of familiarity relative to some of those European teams, but you have teams like Brazil and Argentina, who I think have some attacking ideas and they have some pace on the ball, but they're not nearly as well-drilled, to my eye at least, as Spain and Germany. And they're not nearly as, all right, Fernando Santos is going to go you know, move some cones around in training and not really do anything in the attack. I think I think Brazil is kind of in the middle, Graham, and that's why I, I agree with what you're getting at there of them not really having a great, consistent attacking performance yet at this tournament. Now, I do sympathize a little bit. Neymar and Danilo, who are two key players for Brazil, both not in the team, obviously both dealing with injuries right now. Neymar, especially with an ankle injury, it sounds like he'll be out for, at least for this next game. I mean, things did have to change a little bit for Chichi in this game, but I... I'm not fully there on Brazil for as much talent as they have. And Taylor, this brings it all the way back to what you said. I am kind of yearning for a team Mm -hmm. to go at them a little bit. I think that might be like a fatal mistake, but I would love to see what happens in that case. Let's do it. Cameroon. Make it happen. Yeah. (laughs) Bring him on a back. Have him be even more aggressive than he was. Make the whole team follow suit. We'll see how it goes. But in terms of this being a a Brazil team that has been getting wins when maybe Mm -hmm. not in top gear and maybe not in its best form, Taylor, I would flatteringly compare them to... So Alec Ferguson's Manchester United. Who find a way to win, basically. Find a way to win. Mm-hmm. Even when you don't play well, you get the three points. And that yeah. is that is the the, the quality of champions. Can, who can do you do that, that right? for seven games though at a, at a major tournament? Do you need to at some point find top gear, particularly against the high caliber teams? Yeah, but you don't need to find top gear in your first two group games. Only, yeah. well, no disrespect to Serbia and mm-hmm. Switzerland here, but as you say, they I think one of the key things is that stat you said about the defensive line, not letting in any shots in those first two games as well in the midfield, I suppose, as well. But you know, they've got that fortitude and they've got this 
mm-hmm. belief, I suppose it is, in being able to get grind out these three points, grind out maybe not the correct term, but get the win when they're not playing in top gear. It's, yeah. it's really what you look for in a champion. It is. It's also really weird that you can't say like grind out, but you can't say completely dominate. Mm. And and I think I think it will be a fascinating team to keep an eye on as the uh, the group stages conclude and as we get to the knockout round because we will find out. Do they have more of a system? Can they respond if they go down? Can they respond to an opponent who tries to take control of the game? I, I, I My assumption would be that they will have ways to do that and the talent to be able to play around some of it, but at a certain point, they will have to have that sort Sort of ultimate test, and I don't know if you could rely on Casemiro getting a teeny tiny deflection off of a defender's butt to put that ball in the back of the net. I swear there was a deflection yeah, you there. You can rely on that, surely. Yeah, that's maybe repeatable. Maybe yeah. that's the thing you can plan on. I don't Definitely. know what the XG would be on that one. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, but yeah. XB, I think. You mean, yeah. <laughs> XB, of course. Expected butts. <laughs> but I, I also think this is an extended analogy. I apologize. Oh. But there's, there's to go back to, uh, we filmed our own Sports Center commercial. Uh, to go back to Sports Center, there's, there's that joke of like uh, Manny Ramirez when he was playing for the Boston Red Sox, and he was always like Manny being Manny. He was always had crazy behavior, and then you wondered like how crazy it actually was. And the joke was he answers his phone and just says Ola, and the Sports ah, Center they're like, oh Manny. my god, keep like Manny being Manny. Uh, and it does feel like that way with Brazil that like they walk off the plane and all the coverage was like, oh, they're so intimidating. They're incredible. Look at the way they walk. Look at the way they walk. Look at that. They're so good. It's just there's so much enthusiasm it's, and excitement about Brazil that I, 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 I want to see what happens when they like have that team that has done the, the homework, watched the, the video and thought, mm, there are some opportunities there. It's, it's the Tiago Alcantara paradigm. He drinks water differently. Oh, it's just, it's just special. Look at the way just, he drinks his water. Mm. Look at the way he breathes that air. Yeah. Look at the way and, he doesn't make the Spain squad. But, <laughs> and it sounds like it sounds like we're all being down on Brazil, and maybe we are. But I think what I'm trying to stress is that this could be a Brazil team that just keeps finding ways to win and finds a way to get through every single team. It could be a team that ha- that comes up against a very good, well prepared team and crashes. But I think that's what makes them such a, an exciting, interesting team as this tournament progresses. They don't have history of coming up against a well prepared. I was trying not to go to the knockout stages, do they? <laughs> I was trying not to trigger the PTSD of an entire country. <laughs> so as, as noted, Brazil were through with six points at the top of the group, Switzerland with three points in second place. For this last uh, round of games, Graham, if we assume that Brazil beat Cameroon, then we kind of have a shootout for second place between Serbia and Switzerland. Serbia, if they get the win, go through. Switzerland could go through with a draw, potentially in that game, if mm. Cameroon don't beat Brazil. So which of those two do you think would you like to see in the knockout rounds? I would like to see Serbia in, in the knockout round. They're certainly a more exciting team in, a, in an attacking sense. Switzerland, today in this game, it felt like essentially they were playing for a draw. Shakiri has has an injury. He's not there on the right side. That was a, the primary source of their, their attacks in, in, the, in the first game. It didn't really feel like they had a way to play through Brazil at all. But Switzerland always find a way. That's what they do at major tournaments. So I don't have faith that Serbia are going to are going to uh, squeeze through. It'll be Switzerland in the last sixteen. Put your who, money on it. Who are the teams that always find a way? Because like I've said this before, the Guardian had a joke once that was like, uh, "You are like mathematically prohibited from writing off the Germans at any point." And I feel like Germany can never be counted out. Switzerland can never be counted out. Maybe Brazil as well. I'm not sure who else. I guess Cameroon on the basis of this conversation. Yeah, we shall see. We shall see. Well, why don't we turn to Portugal 2, Uruguay nil. We do talk about Bruno. Yes, 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 Uh, Joe Lowry. Yes, we do. Not a great game, though, but Bruno with a couple of (laughs) goals on the score sheet. Portugal are through. They are. I I thought it was... I liked it a little bit. I did love it. It was was fine. And and I won't really go any further than that. This was another case of Portugal being pretty conservative early on in a game and, and sort of the same with Uruguay. 
Uruguay manager Diego Alonso changes up his tactics a little bit here. So in the first game, they're in a back four. You have Fede Valverde out towards the wing. And, and Darwin Nunez almost towards the other wing. And he's shifting back to defend on the left side of their block. In this game, it's Uruguay in more of a 5-3-2 or a 3-5-2 when they attack. The issue for Uruguay is I kind of thought Portugal was knocking earlier on in this game than they actually got on the score sheet. I thought Uruguay looked pretty vulnerable early on in this game. They'd push forward Uruguay. They have their three center backs, but the passing accuracy was poor again from mm-hmm. this Uruguay team. They averaged 73% passing accuracy, which is not a not a good number, right? I mean, they, they had 40% possession, so they were uh, they were undertaking some some pressure from Portugal, and they, they were trying to play out a little bit and play over the top to find that release valve of Edson Cavani or, or Darwin Nunez. But again, they were not particularly accurate with their passes. I, I did think Nunez was better today than he was on match day one, but he still wasn't a game-changing superstar talent in this match, or at least didn't look like one. The best moments, I thought at least, from Uruguay in this came from came from Bentancourt driving forward. He has a shot early on after he beats 80 different people mm-hmm. on the dribble, yeah. and a shot is saved. But, I mean, there just wasn't a lot of really cohesive, consistent no. uh, ideas or visible ideas from Uruguay in this game. I don't think they really looked good at, at any point of this match, maybe outside of a couple more chances at the end, I, I left relatively unimpressed by them. Yeah, I've come around to the idea that Uruguay are actually the most Portugal Portugal at this World Cup. Hmm. So to see these two teams play against each other, oh, yeah. obviously we expected them, Uruguay that is, to be conservative and play this way. But at least at times in this match, uh, Portugal were the protagonists. They, they, they did probe in the final third for periods of the game. And basically Uruguay wanted to spoil and poop house their way to, to a, I was going to say to a win, but actually to a, to a draw. I'm not sure if that would have aided their, their chances, really. But that felt like the game plan. And so they were left high and dry once Portugal scored their, their opener. And there was a period of this match where things opened up for Uruguay. But I think that was down to Santos taking, taking Ruben Neves off. And at that point, Portugal lost control of the midfield. But then to Santos's credit, and I don't think he gets much of, of that on this show, maybe justifiably so, <laughs> but he recognized that mistake pretty quickly and Yalpolina comes on and, and they regained that control. And Uruguay just had very little to, to offer. They don't yeah. know how to create chances with the ball, which is disappointing given the talent they have. Their midfield is particular, particularly, easy for me to say, disappointing yeah. given the talent that they have. So they have... Bentancur and, and Fede Valverde. So good. But it feels like the structure isn't there. Um, I saw David Cartledge on, on Twitter saying it felt like every time they, they get the ball, Bentancur and Valverde, they feel like they have to play hero ball every time because there's no reference point ahead of them in, in, in the pitch, which again is disappoint- disappointing because Uruguay should have those players. So they need to basically rebuild and restructure their team for that Ghana game. Otherwise, they're, they're going out of this World Cup. And by the way, that Ghana game, a rather big gr- grudge yeah, match, if anyone yeah. remembers what happened yep. in 2010. Uh, discussing Fernando Santos not getting enough credit coming from Graham Ruffin is the audio equivalent of the meme of <laughs> Eric Andre shooting Hannibal Burris and then saying, who would do this? Yeah. Uh, that's what that feels like. It's like, who would possibly <laughs> criticize him? The man who said before this match began, this is going to be the dullest match. I'm not excited about this. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, I, th- I think it's still... It's qualified it's, praise. It's yeah, qualified praise. Can, and when you're playing against Uruguay, who, as I say, are the worst Portugal in this tournament, then yeah, that gives you some content. We did see the dark arts. Uh, Stu Holden on the broadcast did a good job of not having to get bleeped or fined by the SEC for describing what was happening as the penalty was given, uh, the attempts to maybe tear up the penalty spots. It was a little bit more slick. My favorite moment, I don't think he was meaning to do this, but it was just hysterical how it worked out that the ref goes to the screen, comes back and goes to point. You know, because they always want to do the the whistle, they draw the rectangle, and then they point to the penalty spot. And Luis Suarez refuses to get out of his way, so he can never actually point. Like he never gets the full <laughs> arm down. He has to kind of keep it 
crooked. And I feel like maybe Luis Suarez is operating under the assumption that if he cannot point to the penalty spot, mm, yeah. then the penalty won't be given. Doesn't I, count. Doesn't count. Nope, yeah. If I don't move, mm-hmm. it doesn't count. Yep, yep, yep. I also enjoyed that Luis Suarez got into an argument with the officials yep. before he'd even yes. got on the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> that was a sign of what was to come. That, that was like the Gio Reyna, like uh, what, yes. rubbing his hands together or clapping at Kellen Acosta yes. for bringing down Gareth Bale in match day one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And Taylor, that, that uh, penalty decision in itself was a little controversial, wasn't it? Falling yes. back and sort of touching the ball as you fall back with your supporting arm. Yeah. So I was all ready to say, no, that's obviously a penalty because uh, Bruno Fernandez nutmegs Jose Jimenez. Jimenez, I would argue, is like not necessarily out of control, but he's left his feet. He's sort of diving in to try to make a play. So then he's no longer in control of his body. So when he does fall down, if the hand is behind him, you can't really argue that's in an unnatural position. But then we learned from the IFAB rules that that is like almost the textbook example of how not to give a penalty. Uh, Dale Johnson on Twitter pointed this one out that basically Basically, the IFAB rules clarify specifically uh, there is no offense if the ball makes contact, if the hand and the arm are supporting the body as a player is falling. That seems to me exactly what was happening in this scenario. So I I don't know if it was just that the ref decided that maybe there was a deliberate action there. Maybe it was just that Jimenez was out of control. Either way, it's another example of being slightly confused by the rules that we're operating under. Graham, any other Portugal players you want to point to in terms of their contributions? Bruno Fernandes obviously having quite yeah. an afternoon. I thought he'd go off in the first game, but it was here where he shined. Yeah, Bruno has kind of been Portugal's difference maker at, at this tournament. Everything that Portugal did well in this game kind of flowed through Bruno's Fern- Bruno Fernandes. He had 83 touches, which was more than anyone else. And he's now got four goal involvements at this World Cup, which is mm. as many as Kylian Mbappe, which, you know, is a good place to be. If you've got mm. as many goal involvements as Kylian Mbappe, I'd say you're doing rather two, well. Two goals, two assists, you're right, Graham. Indeed. Yeah. And another Portugal player who, he wasn't outstanding in this game, but similar to Antoine Griezmann, it's just good to see him contributing in some way, is is Yael Felix, who I thought was very good. He might have actually been better in the first game than this one, but nonetheless, good to see him contributing and perform a role in a team, which is more than he's done for Atletico Madrid in a long time. I wonder what Diego Simeone is making of this World Cup with two of his his best players playing better than they have for Atletico Madrid any time recently. But yeah, with Portugal's fullbacks, high and Ronaldo pretty much static as a number nine in this team it's up to Felix to, to play in the half space at least until Rafael Leao comes on in, in yep. the second half a lot of a lot of shouts in this apartment yes, for Leao yes, to, come off, to come off the bench it, yeah it in was this, yeah good job so there were so many moments in this game where Ronaldo receives the ball squares someone up does I think early on and maybe inside the first 10 minutes Ronaldo receives the ball on the left wing and he like kind of does his little hop chop thing and nothing happens and then he just passes the ball Hops backwards out. and the crowd goes wild and there was like two or three of those moments. There's one in this game where he's setting up to dribble and just has the ball poked away from him and, and sort of goes down injured. He's not, he was he was fine. Yeah. Ronaldo was not especially productive in this game for Portugal outside of claiming that goal that was not his, that he yep. tried to steal from Bruno Fernandes. <laughs> yep. He didn't, I touched a couple of his hair strands. That's mm-hmm. what Ronaldo will say until yeah. his dying day. I mean, Ronaldo was not especially good today. I didn't think. He had a couple of nice moments, good header and, and some, some dangerous passes, but not like this comprehensive performance, I do think this Portugal team to be anything other than static. And right now, Fernando Santos, I mean, they've qualified for the next round. He's not concerned with them being anything other than static. That's fine. When it is time for this team to kick it up into another gear, that time will come in this tournament. Don't don't get it confused otherwise. Rafael Leao should be playing in this team. He didn't have a ton of impact off the bench in this game, didn't score, didn't get an assist, any of that stuff. But mm. he is a game changer, and he changes the pace of a game as well. 
I think we should see more of him as this competition goes on. We'll see if Fernando Santos agrees or if he disagrees. Uh, as we mentioned, Portugal going uh, going through with six points. Ghana with three points in second place. South Korea and Uruguay both with one point. Similar point layout to Group G we just went through. But as was mentioned, uh, that final game, Ghana versus mm-hmm. Uruguay, similar to that Serbia-Switzerland, it could be a shootout there. Um, Uruguay needing the win to go through at the expense of Ghana. Has that ever happen before what oh no, it, no. maybe maybe once or twice yeah. I, I can think of one contentious moment uh that maybe involved a player who's probably going to be on the pitch for uruguay that's <laughs> going to be some drama because i cannot imagine like sometimes i think there are built-up narratives of like oh it's a grudge match they definitely remember that time 15 years ago when that one player did that one thing they don't most often i have a feeling that the nation of ghana has not really forgiven oh, luis yeah. suarez and i have a feeling that they are not going to treat him particularly kindly i have a feeling ghana will be very aggressive in that game and wanting to get a win there mm. uh, i am stoked for I, it i really hope that it's decided by a penalty shootout and much like tim cruel <laughs> coming on for the netherlands in 2014 uruguay put on luis suarez to be their goalkeeper against ghana for that shootout <laughs> that that would be ultimate chaos just, factor yeah. just awesome ojian comes in from the stands and hits him with a metal chair and we just go full wrestling <laughs> yeah. i'm into it i'm into it. I think that Luis Suarez's job is just going to be to stand chest to chest with the referee at all times. Of who can't make any decisions whatsoever. <laughs> man marking the referee. Yeah, man to man marking the ref. There we go. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about the final game of today. We haven't discussed yet. That's a Korea Republic uh, taking on Ghana. And also, our very specific predictions. Back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's talk about the second of the two very good games that we <laughs> saw on this Monday. Korea 2, Ghana 3. Pretty physical end-to-end stuff we had here, Joe. Um, Education City, we learned something, as I said, Aww. very hilariously in my intro, if I don't say so myself. But this was a brilliant game, arguably a second chaos game as well, Palo Bento getting a red card at the end because Anthony Taylor, the referee, um, blowing up before Garnet, uh, for yeah. Korea, Korea could take, take a corner at the end, which could have been quite pivotal. Yeah, so from what I've read, you're allowed to do that. The referee was allowed to blow his whistle in that moment, but Korea, not happy at all about that moment. Bento was livid. He gets a red card. He will not be on the sidelines for the next game that South Korea have at this tournament. Go ahead, Graham. He got a yellow card in the first game as well, so I believe he has the worst disciplinary record of anyone at this World Cup. <laughs> I did not remember so, that. Th- this reminds me of an incident. Here's the, here's the bell. Wimbledon alert. Um, I went to a game, which an FA Cup game, which was Wimbledon versus mm. Wrexham, who <laughs> like to sell gin these days more than play soccer. But that's another story for another time. There was... Um, How did Wrexham catch a stray in this? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Wimbledon win a corner uh, and it's one all. Uh, and it's a game that will go to a replay if, uh, if it stays one all. Corner comes in. Referee blows as soon as the corner is kicked. It's headed in for a goal to oh, make it 2-1. No. But the referee says, I blew while the corner was in the air. Goes to a replay. Everyone has to go to Wales oh, 10 days my. later. Oh, my. Yeah, okay. The so worst. Maybe, maybe Bento is angry about that as yeah. well. At some point in his past. Maybe he was there, It could have been worse is my point, I suppose. It, I suppose it could be. South yeah. Korea is still very, very unhappy in this game. And, and to be honest, they should be unhappy with stretches of their performance. They had some good moments in this match. So Ghana take a 2-0 lead after a goal from Sadasau in the 24th minute after a really nice set-piece uh, routine from Kurush and, and Jordan Ayu. That's a great moment from Ghana in this game. And then it is Jordan Ayu who, who has the... Uh, shoot, no, excuse me, it's, it's Kudush who gets that second goal for Ghana to put them 2-0 up. And at this point in the match, South Korea have shown nothing. Mm-hmm. Like at this point in the tournament, South Korea yeah. have shown nothing. They showed nothing against Uruguay playing out of their 4-4-2 mid-block. They didn't look nearly as... Pressy as I thought they would coming into this tournament. They didn't look really active or engaged. Finally, in the second half, they turn it on and they get two goals in the stretch of three minutes off of some really nice play. A lot of, you know, balls coming in from wide areas and aggressively attacking them in the box. And then they let it slip once again from, mm-hmm. from Kurush, who I think has been maybe one of the best players in the tournament. I don't I hesitate to say breakout players because he's been in the Champions League for Ajax. Mm. I know a lot of people won't be familiar with him, but I think a lot of people will as well. But it has been a couple of players from the Eredivisie in Cody Gakpo and in Mohamed Kudush, who I think have been some of the most interesting and most entertaining players to watch in this World Cup. Kudush finishes on the weak side of the box to give Ghana a 3-2 lead. They don't relinquish it. And at this point, Ghana have a, a real yeah. fighting chance to get out of this group. Uh, I wanted to talk about Ghana a little bit more for a moment because they go up 2-0, as you said. They concede 2, and it's 2-2. And at that point, it feels like, well, that's it. South Korea have figured this out. They're going to keep pressing on. Ghana are reeling. It's going to finish 4-2 to South Korea. And then, weirdly, South Korea went right back to what they'd been doing. And yeah. this goal is a great example of that. Of it's, it's Ghana in transition, and it's a great like opportunity for them. But it's nothing particularly special. It's a ball across the box that what uh, one of the AU's whiffs, and then Kudush is there to finish. But if it's not f- for that, like the entire Korea team is backing off. They all drop maybe six yards too deep in their own box, and there's no one really applying pressure. I don't know why they set off. I don't know why they took their yeah. foot off the gas. And, and that's where it's difficult to analyse the tactics and strategy and approach of a team. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that was something that was just being executed poorly. Mm-hmm. Joe, we, we talked after the second Ghana goal, which was so bizarre from a South Korea perspective. They're 1-0 down, and basically Ghana have all the time in the world to 
passed through the, yep. the South Korean. It's not even a press. I don't even know what you call it, but it basically works its way out. 30 something passes it yeah. was on the sequence. So it works its way out to AU on, on the left side and there's no pressure on AU. He has all this, t- all, this, all this time to take a couple touches, bend across, and now it's a very good cross. And once the cross is made, it's difficult to defend against. But at that point, I didn't know what South Korea were doing. And then after the equalizer, again, didn't really know what they, what they were doing. And it, it was frustrating because it felt like they had found something that worked. So crosses became a big part of, of, of their game. And uh, some numbers here. So South Korea attempted 46 and completed 17 more crosses than any team in a single World Cup game since Spain versus Switzerland. 46 crosses. Yeah, they attempted 46 crosses in this game. So that's more than any team in a single World Cup game since 2010. And 35 crosses from open play, which was the most in a World Cup game since 1966. So that is quite a, a statistic. But to that point... They found something that worked. That was giving Ghana a problem. That's mm-hmm. how they scored the couple goals. And then it, it just all fell apart. So this is that. why they were so mad that they didn't get that corner. One more cross. That was yeah. going to be it. Right. How do you say in the, the mixer lads in Korean? I, <laughs> I don't know. There is a part of me, like, I understand why they feel frustrated. I understand why normally you let that play go on. It is worth noting that they had gone a full minute past the minimum amount of stoppage time, as yeah. I saw yeah, it. Yeah, so that's true. I, I, I think, and this was after a series of plays for Korea. So I get why that whistle yes. is blown. And I think if that had gone in, you'd have Ghanaians pretty upset about the I way think, that that one was officiated. I think it was in the 100th minute. Yeah. So if you're that reliant on a corner in the 100th minute to salvage a point, I feel like you you've aired. been your own worst enemy. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. And just once again, to lay some more credit on Ghana here, Taylor, mm-hmm. who not only you know stayed in this game and won this game as well, but also have surpassed expectation, I think, at this tournament with mm-hmm. their coach, Otto who had coached, I believe, eight games before this tournament as a as a head coach. Yeah. A very little experience coming into it. Ghana scraping through qualification to get here. I thought they were going to be a huge flop. Here we are. Here we are. And I think that Uruguay game, it could well be that we finally see Uruguay unleashed and they and they come out and they play some exciting attacking soccer and Ghana are pegged back. But I think with the way this tournament has gone, there's also a chance that with that midfield they have, with the attack, with Nyaki Williams, I think we could see a very strong performance from Ghana. I, I'm hoping they make it into the knockout round. Uh, the way they've been playing, it seems a distinct possibility. Uh, even like players who I kind of forgot were in this squad, like Tarek Lamptey, I thought had a really good game today, gets involved in the attack, also does the defensive side of things. I think they've got talent in a number of spots to help them make that run, and I hope that they do. Do any of us really think that Ghana are playing like a worse team than Uruguay right now? No, not at all. No, no. I mean, no, no. no, so the only reason why I think you could you you would expect anything other than a, a strong performance from Ghana is if Uruguay magically turn it on, or if you know or they Nunez it, or takes they over the game. And fa- game. I mean, or, or they poop house match. Yeah, exactly. Right, but yeah. I don't think they can afford to do that, right? They're the the pressure is on Uruguay much more than it is on Ghana in this particular game because oh, of where they are summer child. in the standings. I mean, I I think <laughs> that, I do. I, yeah, fair enough. Luis Suarez doing his thing. I do think Ghana have a, a real shot, like you say, Taylor, to get out of this group. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. But I think it's anything anything can happen with Uruguay. There's always that moment of ridiculousness. We'll see what it looks like in that game. Indeed. By the way, every team has played two games now. By my math, three teams have qualified and only two have been eliminated. Mm-hmm. So we've got a pretty good third and final round of games here. Lots on the line. I hope so. It also feels like, Joe, you, you were saying that what, the, the USA is the only team with two points. Yeah, they're the only team with two points so far in this competition. If I kind of wish there were a few more just because it does feel like we have the stage set for a lot of one team needs to beat the other team and that team needs a draw. So we're going to see a lot of like that team slowing it down, kicking it out of bounds. There's going to be a lot of cramping. There's going to be a lot of like stoppages. Yeah. I, I, I hope we are poised for some dramatic ends. I also feel like we're going to get a few 
like never quite reached the potential that we thought it could because one team really doesn't want it to. Okay, now I'm more depressed about the third game uh-huh. than I was before you said that. But <laughs> USA, you. USA and England going through? Sure. Here we go. There, there we, we go. go. You back in. Ryan's Why don't we up. get to that now? Sure. Why don't we do our very specific predictions for Tuesday's games? Uh, RIP 5am gang gang gang. Aww. We had such a great time. No more 5am games, Joe. You sad? I'm, I'm devastated. Me too. Me yeah. too. 10 a.m. is the start. Woo! I like that none of us could even come up with a joke for that because none of us is at all devastated that <laughs> no, that game is not true, going to be here true. anymore. Obviously, the third and final round of games are played simultaneously per group. So the 10 a.m. games are Netherlands versus Qatar and Ecuador versus Senegal for Group A. Then at 2 p.m., we have Group B's games, Iran versus the USA and England versus Wales. Let's start off, why don't we, with the Netherlands versus Qatar. And that VSP is coming from Graham. Yes, indeed. So my VSP did, for did that game... Did you guess game. that? <laughs> <laughs> I had to look around to see his eyes met mine. Well, I met yours because for a moment, like every now that I get really worried, like every single preview we did, I kept... Being really confident that I previewed the right team, but always mildly terrified oh, yeah, that I got the wrong one. Well. Yeah. Right. And for a minute, I thought, like, wait, did I get the wrong prediction? Because Ryan was looking at me, and I was like, I do not have a prediction for this one. I can wing it if I must. Cody um, Gagpo doing something. Well, it's related. <laughs> it's related to that. There it is. Joel Irie. So my VSP for, for oh, this boy. game is that there will be a goal from across into the box where a Dutch player beats the Qatari goalkeeper to the ball. So Saad Al-Sheib has... Looked very vulnerable from crosses at this World Cup. I saw a preview that says he, it's not guaranteed that he will actually start this game. He didn't but start the last he didn't one. Start the and, the, one. Uh, and the replacement goalkeeper also didn't do a very good job of coming for the I ball. I was sure I checked that because I thought, <laughs> I don't think he started both games. But anyway, yeah. it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. In both games, yep. both Qatari goalkeepers mm-hmm. have looked very vulnerable yep. from crosses into the box. And it's something we have seen from the Dutch already in this tournament. Cody Gakpo making runs in, into the box, late runs. He's dangerous in the air. He scored from across into the box against Senegal where he beat the goalkeeper to a cross. So that's my VSP for this game. I think something similar will happen. I, I hope Qatar goes for their third goalkeeper in this one and we <laughs> still get the same sequence. It will be a perfect prediction. <laughs> Very good. Ecuador versus Senegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Correct. Yes, this time correct. Uh, Well, you were correct both times. My mistake. Um, Yes, I'm very excited for this game. I don't know how uh, aesthetically pleasing of a game it will be because both teams are going to be going for it, but also both teams are going to try not to be like wide open. And what I think that will be is a physical game with a lot of back and forth action. And I think that will lead to some very exciting play, but maybe not the most slow down possession play. So my prediction is that neither team will complete over 400 passes. We'll have uh, 800 or fewer passes in this game in total. Uh, A few numbers to back that up. Ecuador against the Dutch had 328, but against Qatar, they had 412. Senegal similarly had 300 against 307 against the Dutch, but then 432 against Qatar. I think it's going to be lower than either of the Qatar games there. I think both teams are going to be okay with taking risks, but not getting caught in possession. I don't think either one is going to want a ton of possession. So I think it's going to be back and forth but not a ton of passes completed. Okay. Uh, for England versus Wales, my very specific prediction is that England will score in the second half and only the second half. Uh, I think this is going to flo- uh, follow <laughs> we, the flow. We have another ding, ding, ding moment of Ryan taking his betting column to use as a specific <laughs> prediction. Yeah, but I, I'm augmenting and <laughs> I mean, it's, elaborating it's He doesn't it. want to do two lots of research. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it's a smart thing to do, especially when it's a solid a solid prediction. I I've like got numbers, one. baby. I've got numbers. Back them up. So, yeah, I think the England are going to... Uh, I think England-Wales will be sort of a tense affair in the first half. Not too dissimilar to what we saw with the mm. USA, with England not needing to push for the win necessarily. But if you look at the numbers of uh, England's score, in the second half and Wales conceding in the second half 11 
of England's last 15 goals have been in the second half. Nine of the last 13 Wales have conceded have been in the second half. I see this as Wales fading the talent gap, talent gap, the talent gap increasing in that second half. And that's when we'll get the one or the two nil win for England. How's that sound, Joe? I like it a lot. I, I do think England will come out on top in this game. They don't need to do much. But as Wales push further and further forward out of desperation, which yeah. they will do as the match goes on, there should be space in behind, Ryan. I think the timing makes sense. I also like how British you get mm-hmm. when you do that. I, listeners can't can't see this. Obviously, I'll, I'll try to explain it to you. You know that there's a British thing where you put your arm up next to your, your head a little bit and you move it up as you it's talk. It's prime ministerial. As your voice yeah, goes yeah. up. You don't point. You just you hold your hand up. Yeah, That's right. It. It's yeah. just it's almost mm-hmm. like the Italian mm-hmm. hand gesture, but yeah. for British yeah, people. It's, it's Hugh Grant in Love Actually is what it is. <laughs> yeah. you, you also, we have to include that when uh, when I brought up the, the uh, betting predictions, it went ha- full hands on hips as well. It was <laughs> It was was a very British defense, and I enjoyed it. I'm also super stoked for tomorrow when England score in the first five minutes, and you are pleased, but then also annoyed. Yeah, yeah. Win-win, I think we call that, Taylor. Okay. By the way, thank you for accusing me of Britishness, person wearing a crown. Yeah, well, you know what? You got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. Joe, finally, the very specific prediction for Iran versus USA. I honestly forgot I was wearing it. I've been wearing it for so long. That's how you know that you're meant for it, my friend. If it's it's just right. Right, Taylor, it really does. Uh, my USA Iran prediction is that I'm going to be really nervous. No, that's I am going to be nervous, but that's a given, so it doesn't count. I'm I'm saying that the US will have three shots outside the box in the first half mm-hmm. against Iran. So Taylor and I did an Iran preview, a US Iran preview earlier today. We agreed, and this is very logical that Iran aren't really going to do much. They're going to sit back, barring some sort of shock in the England Wales game that could sort of prompt them to go forward. Iran will be very defensive in this game. The U.S. need three points. They cannot draw. They cannot lose if they want to make it to the round of 16. They need three points. I think they're going to be aggressive early on. The reason why I think these shots are coming from outside the box in the first half, they've had six outside the box shots so far in this tournament. Four against England, I believe, and two against Wales. I don't know that I have a lot of confidence in the U.S. to actually break through Iran. So that's Mm -hmm. why I say they're Mm -hmm. going to come from outside the box. Not generally an area that you want to be taking shots from. Closer to the goal you are, the better chance those shots have of going in. I am... I am hopeful that the U.S. will create something and will access more dangerous spaces. But to start the game, I could see them being a little trigger happy and, and just sort of shooting early and often from outside the box. I, I, I like that one because I see Iran basically lining up with all mm-hmm. 10 players on the edge of the box for 90 minutes. So that could work. We had that listener question once. What would happen if you just put every player like on the line with people standing on each, like on each other's shoulders? Could you defend the entire goal? Maybe we'll find out with Iran. Joe, I love that prediction. The one that if I were going like heart over head, I think the United States will win. That is my feeling heading into that game. You believe but that you will win? I really worked hard not to have to say that. But yes, I believe that the U.S. will win. We will win. How about that? Uh, what I would love for it to be, to go with your prediction, I had images of, we've seen Tyler Adams pick that loose ball up at the top of the box, and like every now and then I really want him to crack a shot, and every single time he slows it down and lays it off. And I want a Jermaine Jones against Portugal moment. I want Ooh. Tyler Adams, fine, I'll do it myself, run through, smash, <laughs> put in the back of the net. We hear that thwack of the ball hitting the net. He runs off to celebrate. Life is good. Hooray, Tyler Adams and the USA. Hooray, Tyler Adams and the USA. A good sentiment to end this podcast on. And by the way, listener, do check out on the feed the Iran versus USA preview that Tater Rockwell and Joseph Lowry have already recorded. So do Proper go names. check that out. There we go. Uh, Tater Rockwell, the <laughs> aforementioned. Thank you yes. very much, sir. Thank you. I was really enjoying Joe do his royal proclamation gestures. Ah, yes. Go listen. <laughs> uh, sir Joseph of Lowry, thank you for your services today. It's your majesty, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, sirs wouldn't wear a crown. I- 
totally messed up yeah. Britishness there. I think I've been fired from Britain. Graham <laughs> Rutherman, thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And listener, thank you so much for joining us once again. We really appreciate your support throughout this World Cup. We'll be back on the feed tomorrow to talk about the USA and much, much more. But for now, bye! Slash it!